Man, Block KC, how we doing? Happy Thursday. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I was hosting a party for the Super Bowl, and so that 2B commercial threw me off. It gave me such anxiety. Everybody's like, where's the remote? Where's the remote? Uh, yeah, that freaked me out big time. Um, if we haven't met, like Nick said, my name is Charlie Anderson. Uh, I have the privilege of getting to serve as a leader here at The Block. Uh, it's not my full-time gig. I work a job here in Kansas City, but man, it is a privilege to be up here and to be with you all tonight. Um, I, I have a picture a little bit more about me. Uh, this is my wife and I, so again, this would have been a little bit more applicable last week. Uh, had to cancel due to weather, due to ice on the roads, but uh, this was a fun time. This was good. I, we didn't get to go to the last parade together, and so it was, it was amazing. Got to tell Mahomes and Andy Reid we were proud of them. I think it meant a lot to them. Um, so we showed out. We showed out for it. Uh, yeah, like Nick said, we've been in this series called Mindful. And so the, the first week, Nick walked us through uh, that our thoughts matter. And in the second week, we looked at the reasons our thoughts don't. It's really, this whole series is about how, what God thinks uh, about our thoughts, like what God would have to say about our thoughts. And so this week, we're changing gears a little bit, and we're looking at what the people around us uh, have, the, the effect that they have on our thoughts. So our friends, our group. Um, but to begin by show of hands, who, who here had a word that they would pronounce wrong growing up? Did anyone have just a word that for whatever reason they found out at some point they pronounced wrong? Yeah, okay, it looks like a decent amount of us. Uh, for me, I had a couple. Uh, so I said, I, I found this out in middle school, you know, it's when all good bullying starts, and uh, from one of my good friends, uh, there were these two words he would always point out. So one of them was the word both. Uh, I guess I said it B-U-L- T-H, uh, meaning the word both. I would always pronounce it that way. Uh, and then the other one was forward. Uh, I just dropped the R right out of forward. Just, you know, it felt easier. And he would just, every single time I would say one of these two words, he would like say it right after. I would say it like sarcastically, like really exaggerate it. Or he would ask me, he'd be like, hey, Charlie, how do you spell that? Um, and that bothered me a ton. Uh, I did not enjoy that. I would always like respond to him and just like overcorrect it, like try to say it really proper, like I was, you know, making fun of him back. Uh, but it really stuck with me. I mean, it wasn't like I was trying to say these words uh, wrongly. I'd honestly never realized that I said it weird until he said something. And then it's like all I could, all I could hear. I'm just like, man, what? What is wrong with me? Why do I say it this way? Um, it works, though. I, I say them correctly now, uh, and he's actually here tonight, so if you say one of those wrong, uh, I'm sure you both could have a good conversation. Um, but really, there, there's so much that we think, there's so much that we do uh, that we're oblivious to. The just blind spots that we have, and if we're honest with ourselves, we all have them. I have so many stories I could share about this. Uh, this one, this one kind of hurts. At one point, I thought that 24-7 uh, meant that there was 24 hours and 7 minutes in a day. Uh, I don't know why I thought that, but I would see the signs everywhere. I would see, like, commercials on TV, you know, 24-7, and I was just, I was like, okay, there's, there's 7 extra minutes. And uh, I, I wish I could say this was elementary school, but I found this out in 8th grade, that this was not the case. And I was sitting on the back patio with my brother, uh, and I asked him, this is how confident I was. I was like, hey, so you know how there's 24 hours and seven minutes in a day? 
a lot of confidence. And I was like, where do they keep track of the extra seven minutes? Like on a clock. I was like, how did they do that? And my brother, like the look that he gave me after I asked the question, I was like, oh, I am wrong. I don't know, I don't know where I went wrong, but man, I am wrong. Uh, yeah, that was a tough one. But the, the way that we perceive the world, it is shaped through our own point of view, our own experiences, uh, our beliefs that we have. And I think we, we all have this perception that at some point we grow out of it. Like at some point uh, we become adults. Uh, our thinking is now correct. Like I know how much time there is in a day, thank goodness. Uh, but if we're honest with ourselves, we know that that's not really true. But we do lose humility as we get older. Um, take, for example, like, what should we be foremost experts on? Like, we should know more about this than anybody, and it's ourselves, right? Like, there's nobody who spends more time with me on a daily basis than me. Like, I should know myself. But listen to some of these statistics about the way that we perceive ourselves. So this is according to National Institute of Health. They, they've read on this study a bunch of times, and every time it comes back the same. 80% of people say that they're an above-average driver. It doesn't take a math whiz to realize that statistic makes no sense. Like, we have a terrible perception of our driving abilities. You probably know someone who thinks they're a good driver, and you're scared for your life every time you're with them. Uh, in a survey of 2,000 Americans, this, is, this was from 2021, it said 75% responded saying that they're an inherently good person, which that part, that part makes sense to me. Honestly, I'm surprised 25% of people were like, no, nah, I'm just bad. Uh, but it, it went on. And so 46% of those people said that they were the best person that they knew. I mean, that is insane. The fact that 46% of people don't know me yet. That is crazy. Um, so uh, last example, in, a, in an ad campaign from Dove, uh, it's, been, it's on YouTube. It's been viewed over 70 million times. They did this in 2014. And they had these people come to a studio. So they would pay people to be in this commercial, right? And so they would come to a studio, and they would have a conversation with someone. So they would talk to someone for a few minutes, and then they were taken into a different room. And so in this room, there was just a chair, and there was a curtain. And so they would sit in the chair, and then someone would start asking them questions from the other side. It sounds a little creepy when I'm describing it. But the, somebody would ask some questions, and on the other side of this curtain was an FBI forensic sketch artist. And so these questions would be like, you know, tell me about your hair. Tell me about your face, your nose, your complexion. And like I can tell it's like there, there's some people in this room just uncomfortable even thinking about like sitting there and having these questions asked of you. And so once they would complete the sketch, the person would leave the room afterwards and they would bring in that conversation partner from earlier. And so they brought in the conversation partner and they would ask these same questions. And so there were these two sketches that were made. And what Dove found is that every single time they did this, the sketch that was described by someone else was viewed as more attractive than the sketch that was done based on their own description of themselves. We are horrible judges of ourselves. We do not know ourselves well. Man, how great would that be to have a sketch artist in our lives, figuratively, someone that can show us our thoughts and then show us what's true. Nick's been talking the last couple weeks about our source for guiding our thinking uh, and our source for truth and that being God's word. Tonight is really, it's just an extension of that. It's another way that God guides our thinking on what is true and that's by the people around us. 
So we see the Bible use a couple different words for this throughout Scripture. You might hear community, you might hear fellowship, and really it's the same thing. It's this idea that if we are pursuing Jesus, there are people in our lives who help us pursue Jesus. Tonight we're going to have God's Word as our guide. We're going to look at a few ways, uh, three, that our community shapes our thoughts. Uh, And full disclosure, I'm going to be throwing a lot of verses your way. So uh, feel free to write down references and come back to them later if it's needed. Man, I care about this topic so much. Uh, I've experienced the ups and downs in this, and I think God has so much for us tonight. The first thing that we want to dive into is, uh, is community impacts the way that we think about decisions. So what do we look for in friends? It's kind of a weird question, right? Like, we don't really think about what we look for in friends. You know, our friends are, well, here's where I went to high school. Here's where I'm from. Here's where I work. Like, we don't, we don't have that thought. We just, our friends are our friends. We don't think about that. But I was curious, like, what would the world say about this? Like, what would the world say about what makes someone a good friend? So I went to the source uh, of, of all truth, not really. Uh, I went to Google, and so I just searched, like, what makes a good friend? And one of the top articles that I saw uh, was actually from WebMD, which was really surprising. I guess they're getting into opinion pieces now. Um, but they, they had these three things on there that they listed. So the first one, they said, someone who makes you feel good. Uh, which makes sense, someone to, someone to gas you up, someone who always supports you, you know, your, your ride or die, and someone who maintains and respects your boundaries. And that's what we all want, right? Like, we want a wingman, we want a hype woman, like, we see it in society, this idea of follow your heart, uh, get rid of these toxic people from your life that are going to hold you back, you know? And, and we want someone like this who's going to tell us what we want to hear. Like, we have our direction, we got our passions, our own desires, and desperately, we want people in our lives who are going to amplify that. Or maybe you feel kind of the opposite of this. I think I can actually relate with this more, if I'm honest, that maybe we have no idea what we want to do. We have no idea what we want to do, and it weighs on us, because constantly we feel like it is all up to us to figure it out. I got to figure out my desires. I have to figure out my direction. We're constantly in our heads. God speaks to this idea in his word. He gives us uh, these two verses here. Jeremiah 17, 9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. In Proverbs 14, 12, it says, There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. These verses are saying, like, we think that we know what is right. We think that we know what is best for us, and alone, we don't. We just looked at those statistics. We think that we know ourselves, but if we're honest, we don't. God, the creator of truth, proven to be correct again. And that truth should give us pause. I mean, our our deep desires, these thoughts that come from our heart, um, our idea for the future, it might be the very thing that's leading us astray. You know, this girl that I'm going to date, have you seen her? This job that I'm selling out for, I'm going to retire when I'm 40, you know, I want this dog, I want this house, I want this car. These desires can be the things leading us astray, the desires in our heart, these thoughts that consume our minds, whether consciously or even subconsciously. God says, be careful. And just what we saw from that sketch artist, we need others in our lives to help us see clearly. 
Fortunately, God doesn't, he doesn't just leave us in those two verses. Like, they are meant to be a warning for sure, but God wants us to turn from that mindset and look to his word. He makes it really, really clear. There's about 16 Proverbs that all say the same message. I'm just going to read a few here really quickly. Feel free to write down the reference if you want, but just listen and see if you can catch what God is saying to us. So Proverbs 12, 15, it says, The way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 13, 10, wisdom is found in, wisdom is found in those who take advice. Proverbs 15, 22, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. Proverbs 19, 20, it says, Listen to advice, accept instruction, and in the end you will be wise. Proverbs 20:18 make plans by seeking advice. Proverbs 28:26 He who trusts in himself is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom is kept safe. God is really clear. He's saying you need people around you who can help keep you safe. There's another proverb on this topic, actually. It's really saying this same message, but I want to sit in it for a moment. It's Proverbs 24, 6, and it says this. It says, for by wise guidance, you can wage war, and in the abundance of counselors, there's victory. So let's take a step back. Like, what is this saying here? And I think it's worth thinking about this picture, about this king who's bringing in advisors in the midst of a war. And I think there's two qualities, really, that the king is looking for in these people. The first is this. I think the king is bringing in people who know about combat. You know, I don't think the king is asking the local farmer, like, hey, man, how do you think we should defend this castle that you've never been inside of and you have no idea what weapons we have? That seems like a bad idea. No, he wants people who are battle-tested. He wants people who understand the fight. I think in the same way, if our goal is to live for Christ, to know God deeper and experience the joy to the full that Jesus explains. We're facing serious decisions, and we want people who know Jesus. And secondly, uh, the king isn't bringing in advisors who are just going to tell him how great his battle plan is. That doesn't help him at all. He's bringing in people who are going to tell him where it's going to fail. I want to acknowledge it is, it is difficult to put people in your life that are like this. We don't like being corrected um i mean we see it in ourselves all the time like if we uh thinking back to school like if we had a bad test score we don't really want to look at the result like someone's like grades got posted you're like yeah it's okay i'll check later uh you don't want to see it if our if our weight isn't what we want it to be like it is hard to step on the scale if something is stressing us out and we push it to the back of our minds we bottle it up But if this is our natural desire, like what makes us take that step to bring other people in? And I think we see it back in that same proverb. It's this war mentality. There's an urgency to the situation. Decisions that the king is making here, this could quite literally be life and death for the people in his kingdom or for him. And it brings a lot of clarity, doesn't it? Like there's no ego in that situation. We don't really have this same mentality, do we? Like when we approach decisions, none of us are currently involved in war, in war, obviously. Like we are here right now, but the decisions that we make can be life and death. Um, but we don't think of it that way. And in some ways, that's right. Like we make thousands of decisions every day, and a lot of them don't really matter. Like we're, we might be deciding, am I going to go to Chick-fil-A? Am I going to go to Taco Bell? Like the, the impact of that decision doesn't, there's a right answer, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. But that's not always 
the case, though. I, I think in some ways our perspective really needs to shift. According to Psychology Today, uh, we make 80% of our major life decisions in our 20s and our early 30s. As young adults, uh, we think the way that we think affects the decisions uh, of who we marry, of our career trajectory, and in so many ways this defines our life. Not only are these stakes high, but we also have an enemy. We see Ephesians 6, Paul writes this to us. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. But God, God wants to use each one of these decisions in our lives. He created marriage. He designed it to be beautiful, to be a reflection of his love for us, and he cares about your future marriage more than you do. God designed us exactly how we are, our interests, our skills, all of it. He cares about your future career more than you do. We follow a loving God who gives good, good gifts. Satan on the other hand, is described as the prince of this world, and the world tries to influence our thoughts and our desires away from what God has intended. He clouds things. He makes gray areas where there shouldn't be. Our minds are infected with pornography, unrealistic expectations of relationships from movies, from TV shows that we watch. We're instilled with greed, with comparison that distracts us from using our gifts for what God has intended. These are just two examples, but man, there are so many that we could list. So who's in your war room? Who do you want in that room that's shaping your approach to these decisions? If the goal is pursuing God, then we want people who know God, who know his word, who are actively living it out, and not perfectly by any means, but genuinely. For those of us who are in this room who desire to pursue God, but whose friends honestly don't look anything like this, that would have been me in high school, we need to ask ourselves the question, am I influencing them or are they influencing me? And I think a lot of the times, if, if we are honest, we realize that they are influencing us. We need to find a friend, find a group of them who can help you pursue God. Culture would tell you to look for a friend that won't crush your hopes and dreams. God wants you to have a friend who loves you enough to tell you if your hopes and dreams will crush you. Community guides us, but community also is going to help us every step of the way. And that's our, our next point, is that community helps to sharpen us. So we see, we're going to start with this verse. It's Proverbs 27, 17. And it says, iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. When I think about this verse, I think about like a, the knife block uh, that's in our kitchen or the one growing up. I remember always being confused. There's this thing in the top left, and when you pull it out of the knife block, it's literally just like a metal stick. And I was like, why, why did they give us this? Uh, and I, I realized that over time, you're using your knives a lot, they get dull, right? And so you have to take that, and you take the knife, and then you uh, scrape them against each other, basically, until that knife is sharp again. And that's this exact idea that they're talking about here, uh, of iron sharpening iron. 
that word that's used there, it means uh, literally to improve or to develop. And it's saying that the people who love God and love us can help us in this. We see so much dullness towards God. I'm going back, imagining my high school friends and I hanging out. I was not a Christ follower in high school. I would have told you that I was, but there is nothing in my life that would bear that out. Uh, I was living 100% for myself. Uh, But there's no chance, if I'm hanging out with my high school friends, like, we are not talking about the things of God. They're not pushing me in that direction. They're not going to sharpen me. It's a bunch of dull people hanging out. The last thing that I wanted in those relationships was was friction, right? I mean, I think we all can relate to that. Like, let's just hang out. Man, the game is on. Uh, Let's just be comfortable. Don't make things weird. Man, we stay surface level in our relationships, and yet we wonder why we're so lonely. The most connected generation ever, and yet 61% of young adults feel, quote, serious loneliness, from a recent Harvard study. Our relationships are a mile wide and they're an inch deep. If that is all that you take from tonight, that you need real relationships, that you need relationships that have depth, man, your life will be changed. And I think the church is not immune to that. We can think that it is, but there's two ways I think that we can even see it within the church. Maybe one of them, like you're at a church, uh, it's, it is a great church, there's so many awesome people there, but you are not actually involved in community, like there's nobody there who really knows you, man, that can become a lonely, lonely place. Or I think the other way that this could look, like maybe we have uh, a group of believers in Christ that you meet up with, but still nobody, nobody really knows you, and I mean like really, really knows you. I mean, somebody that knows the sin that you're fighting. Somebody knows the ways that you desperately need prayer. Sometimes this can feel the loneliness, the loneliest. It feels like we're doing everything right, but there's something missing. We aren't known by the people around us. To be totally transparent with you, I have been here before. God blessed my time in college with some incredible men around me. I was known by them. But graduating, moving to Kansas City, I felt incredibly displaced. I'm Kansas City born and raised, but I was not coming back the same as when I left, and it was really hard to reconnect. I did all the right things. I found a church that I loved. I got involved in a group there with some great, great people. I still go to that church, but I was never fully known. And it was only I was I was still lonely in that. I was never fully known. And I I truly don't know if anything would have changed, except for that almost a year into that group, my best friend in the entire world outside of my wife, he said, hey man, this isn't you. He said, you don't have the same love for God. You aren't the same as you used to be. And then he asked me the question. He said, hey, how's community going? God used him in my life. For the last five months, my wife and I have been experiencing, <clears throat> excuse me, my wife and I have been experiencing the joys and the benefits of being known. And there's a cost to get there. It was hard. There were conversations along the way, but it is so, so worth it. 
Real relationships, they're not found. Uh, we say that term a lot. We say fine community, but real relationships, they're, they're forged. It takes work. It's finding godly people <clears throat> around you that, that love Jesus and saying, let's do this together. It is radical. So what does this look like? What does it look like to sharpen each other? I think the first, the first step is, is that we put ourselves out there, that we are willing to put ourselves out there. Maybe your faith hasn't been your own in your life. You're navigating things for the first time, and you just want to know, like, hey, how do you pray? Like, honestly, how do you do it? Like, how do you approach work as a Christian? Like, we can hear that, like, oh, work as a Christian. Like, what does that mean? Do I just say my pleasure at work instead of thank you? Like, what does that look like? I don't get it. What does it look like for you to read God's word? And, like, why do you do it that way? These things, we find, like, they sharpen both of you. Like, one person obviously feels it, you know, like, you're getting the wisdom. But the person who gets asked the question, like, you have to talk through, like, why you do the things you do. And, like, that's hard. That makes you reflect. It is iron sharpening iron. So ask the questions. Secondly, confess your sins. And all of it. This is hard to do initially, and it's hard to do completely. I still wrestle with this, but it is so healthy. <clears throat> We're able to do it because Jesus has died for our sins, so we don't have to feel shame towards these. We don't have to be afraid of anybody and what they think of us, but yet we still are. I think we can, we can ask the question, like we hear it even as a buzzword sometimes of like, you know, what, it, what does it mean to be a healthy Christian? Like, I want to be healthy spiritually. And I think what that looks like is being able to talk about your sin. James tells us uh, that when you confess your sins, you experience healing. So if we want to be a healthy Christian, we have to confess sin. There's a, a movie that I saw uh, growing up. I think it illustrates uh, this idea of confession really, really well. Um, I, I can't totally endorse it. If I'm honest, the movie's Eight Mile. Uh, some of y'all might be familiar, uh, but there's, there's this incredible scene at the end, and so the whole climax of the movie is there's these rap battles. Uh, it's, it's featuring Eminem, kind of his rise through the rap game in Detroit, and there's a, there's a rap battle at the end, and so there's a few rounds here. So Eminem wins the first round, he wins the second round, he moves on to the championship, and so each one of these is essentially in this rap battle. These guys are just taking shots at each other right? And so one person goes first, one person goes second, and then the audience kind of votes on who wins. And so Eminem goes to the championship round, and he's, he's up against this guy, and, and Eminem has to go first. So Eminem steps up, and instead of doing what everybody else has done, he takes an entirely different approach. He spends his, almost his entire rap dissing himself. He says, hey, I know everything that you are going to say about me. He knows that the crowd is not necessarily on his side either, and he knows everything they don't like about him, and he calls all of it out. He puts it out there, and he also saves some distance for the other guy, obviously. Uh, but when, when, the other, when the other guy is supposed to go, he's supposed to go second, right? Like, that's the better spot for sure. He has nothing to say. And so he just concedes, and Eminem wins. And I think we see, man, that... In the same way, we strip Satan of one of his greatest weapons against us when we confess our sins. 
We take these things that used to be hidden, that used to be in the darkness, and we shine a light on it. It's what scripture would call walking in the light. And it is sharpening. There's few things more sharpening than being around people and being challenged by people that are walking in the light. Being real, being vulnerable. It also, it means we open ourselves up to being corrected. In the ways, uh, in the ways that are obvious, the ways that we see, but also the ways that we don't. And that's where it gets hard. Like we can see things in ourselves and we can ask for advice from other people, but what about those areas you can grow in that you hadn't even noticed yet? Man, what about when you see something in someone else that they say like, I want to wholeheartedly follow Jesus. Like that is everything that they say, but you see some things in their life that just don't quite match it. That feels different. Like, that is hard. We don't love confrontation. I, I mean, there's going to be someone out there that's like, I love confrontation. And that, I, I don't know if that's what we're going for. Um, <laughs> but we, we don't see a lot of good examples of this, truthfully. Like, amongst young adults, for sure. Uh, our generation does not love it. And I think even those who are involved in the church, they have their group, uh, whatever it is. There's this vibe that, like, we view someone as a Christian, a follower of Christ, and think, like, ah, should I bring this up? No, they're good. Like, they go to church, they do the things, they say the right stuff. Like, I don't want to say anything. And we have a serious, serious perspective problem here. Like, somehow, it will be better for that person if I don't say anything about it. First, really quick, I want to acknowledge that might be true. So here's a couple ways that might be true. One, you don't know them. You don't have the relationship. You haven't seen their life. You don't have the right to speak into their life because you don't see the full picture. And the other is if our desire to correct somebody in something comes from anything besides love for them. Are we wanting to correct to get revenge for a way that you've been wronged? Proverbs 19.11 would tell us it's our glory to overlook an offense. Is this something that ultimately doesn't matter, that would create unnecessary conflict? Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such that is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So that is why, look, it might not be right for you to say something, but if that isn't the case, if our heart in addressing them is from love in, and intended to build them up and sharpen them, it is a disservice to not share it with them in a kind and considerate way. I think the mentality for this is expressed really well at the beginning of Hebrews chapter 12, the writer says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Man, we see this, this perspective. It corrects our thoughts. Genuine community is not complacent. We desire to throw off the sin that entangles and to help others do the same. In Proverbs 27, 6, it would say it this way. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. These people might not even intend harm. We see enemy, we think harm, but their actions or lack thereof are harmful. We need someone who's going to say to us, hey man, there's some things that you've said that you would do and you didn't, and that makes you hard to trust. We need someone to say, hey, I saw those texts pop up on your phone from that girl. How's purity been? We need that in our lives. The list goes on and on, and I think we, like, kind of recoil at that. I know I do, at least, because I, I hate correction, if I'm honest. Uh, I, I can, at least, at times, and it's because I'm stupid, honestly. Um, 
I think we can all hate correction at times, and it's because we're stupid. The Bible says it this way, whoever hates correction is stupid. <laughs> God, God doesn't mince words there. Um, so let's love our friends enough to sharpen them in their blind spots, and let's be humble enough to receive that as well. To sum it up, we need friends that are going to fear God more than they fear us. So our third, our third point here is that community, it reminds us of what is true. <clears throat> yes, we all need help in decisions, absolutely. And we need help improving as people and as followers of Jesus. But sometimes, if we're honest, we just need help. There's going to be a weight that we have to bear in life that is more than we can handle. There's something coming your way that will crush you if you are alone. It could be a miscarriage. It could be a prolonged season of singleness in our lives. We might get laid off. I mean, just last week, 5% of the company that I work at was just fired. There's going to be something that is too much for you to handle alone. In Galatians 6.2, it says to carry one another's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. But the world, the world is going to push us to cope. The world is going to say, oh man, you are still single? Like, how is that possible? Maybe you need to lower your standards a little bit. Like, let's just forget why we had those. Like, oh dude, you got laid off. Like, man, let's, let's go out this weekend. Let's forget about that. Um, we, we don't need to dwell on it right now. Like, let's turn elsewhere, any, anywhere besides God. Let's numb the pain that we're feeling. God doesn't want us to cope. He doesn't want us to try to forget about it. In fact, he would actually say the opposite. God says, remember. He tells us to remember, and we need friends who will help us to remember what is true. John 14, 26, this is Jesus. He's talking to the disciples. They're terrified because Jesus is telling them that he's leaving. All the disciples know is Jesus for the last three years, and Jesus is saying, you don't have to worry because I'm sending you this helper. He says it this way. He says, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So Jesus is saying, don't worry. This helper is coming, and what's he going to do? He will help you remember me. We need reminders of what Jesus has done, what he's promised to do. That word, remember, it's used over 250 times in the Bible. We need to be reminded of the word of God. When we feel fearful in a situation, Isaiah 41.10 would say, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. We're not alone in that situation that causes fear. God is with us. When we are depressed, we're overwhelmed by the world. We need to be reminded that Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, he said, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. When we're feeling shame from sin, we need to be reminded that Paul wrote to us, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And Paul can say this with confidence because Jesus was God in the flesh who lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for our sins so that in believing in him, Paul can say with confidence, he can say there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Jesus has taken that from you. The reminder of this is, is actually why churches do communion. Uh, if you've heard of it or seen it, it's where they have the bread and the wine. It's, it's an act Jesus encouraged us to do, and he said in it, he said, do this in remembrance of me. 
we need to be reminded. So I want to be practical because I know what I would be thinking if I was sitting out there right now. I, I want to be practical with this. Like when we show people, uh, when, we, when we tell people truth, like it is not loving. If someone is going through a difficult situation, to just throw Bible at them, to just throw verses at them. It is so easy for that to fall on deaf ears. But we need to show them truth by showing them God's love. There's certainly a time to remind them of scripture, to remind them of what is true, but we also need to demonstrate it. We, we pray for them, and we, we don't say that we're just going to do it, but we actually do it, and we tell them that we are when we do it. We help out financially when there's need, that they might see the truth that God will supply their every need. We sit with them in hardship so that they see the truth that God's made a covenant with them if they've trusted in Jesus and that he'll never leave us. Proverbs 17, 17, it says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a time of adversity. Man, the love goes so deep, it is past friendship, it's family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Being reminded of that truth Man, it, it, it encourages us. And that word, it literally means, it means to place courage in. To live in this world as a follower of Jesus, it is hard. It is a battle. It is the war that we saw earlier in Proverbs. Do you have people that are going to place courage in you? I do want to get practical here. I want to have a little bit of application. So if you're sitting there, I know we're all in different spots when it comes to this. Uh, but I think the first application is, hey, let's, let's be that person for someone. Not that you're perfect, not that you know every Bible verse or story, but that you love God and that you have the Holy Spirit and that you're dedicated to going deep in your relationship with people. And secondly, I think sometimes we need to have a DTR with our friends. We need to communicate that this is the type of community that we want, that we want relationships that are real, that aren't surface level. And then search out godly people. It might be the people that you came here with tonight. Then it's really simple. We pick a time, you pick a place, and you make a plan. You know, we're going to meet every Thursday, Starbucks, 7 a.m., be there. And man, making a plan, it does not have to be crazy. I think we can overcomplicate this all the time. And I can just give you an example. Like, there's, there's three questions that my community talks through, and they have blessed me tremendously. I did not come up with them, but they go like this. The first one is, how are you feeding yourself? And so that is, how am I intaking God's word? Am I listening to a sermon? Like, what are the ways that God is pressing in on me this week? The second one is, how am I feeding my flesh? So I'm talking about my sin. You know, I'm taking the mic away from Satan in that. I'm, I'm talking about my sin, what I'm struggling with, where I need prayer. How am I feeding my flesh? And then third is, how am I feeding others? How am I, because of the grace that God has shown me, how am I getting to invest in other people and show them the love of God? It's just those three questions. And then because all of us in our group currently are married, we also just talk through the question, man, how's your marriage? Just really simple. It, your plan does not have to be complex, but it does have to be deep. And then lastly, be committed. Man, show up. Rain or shine, like it doesn't matter. I'm going to be there. We can't have depth in our relationships without commitment. Man, it is hard. So be committed.
There's a story, uh, it comes from, from Luke chapter 5. Uh, in this story, it's about these five friends. So one of these friends was paralyzed, um, and they'd heard of this man who's coming through. He was drawing these crazy crowds. And so they carry, uh, they hear about this guy who's, who's coming through and that he's, he's a prophet. He's speaking truth, but he's also performing healings. And so they think this is the perfect opportunity, right? Their friend, he's disabled. And so they carry him on a mat. Their friend's sitting on it. They carry him on a mat all the way to where Jesus is teaching. But the crowd is so intense. There are so many people that are there to watch Jesus that they can't get their friend to him. And so these guys, they don't give up, right? They go to the side of the house. They find a way to actually get on the roof. And at that time, these roofs are made of, like, straw. They start tearing apart this roof. I would have been ticked if I was the homeowner, but I guess he made it in the Bible, so that's kind of cool. Um, but they start tearing apart this roof, right? And then they let this guy down, their disabled friend with a rope. They let him down right at the feet of Jesus while he's preaching. And it says, when Jesus saw their faith, not just the faith of the paralyzed one, when he saw their faith, the faith of their friends, of his friends that were willing to risk it all, willing to do anything to get their friend to Jesus, he healed them. One day it's going to be us on that map. Decisions that need to be made, ways that we need correction in our lives, things that are too much for us to bear. Do you have friends who are going to bring you to Jesus? Let me pray that you would. Lord, thank you for tonight, God. Thank you for your word, God, for your truth, for community, God, that you have given it to us to encourage us. Lord, that you have put people in our lives who can remind us of what is true, who can help guide us through the difficult decisions in life, who can help sharpen us. Lord, we know that we need it. God, I pray that you would give us courage Lord, I pray that you would give us boldness to take the next step. God, whatever step makes sense for us where we are. Lord, maybe there's hard conversations that need to be happen to, that need to happen, Lord, with uh, the group of believers that we meet up with regularly. God, maybe we need to find that. Lord, maybe we need to change uh, the people who have the loudest voice in our lives. Uh, God, we know that it is difficult. God, it is so hard to live uh, for you, but Lord, you have given us every resource. God, you have given us your son, you have given us your word, and you have given us the people around us. Lord, would we take advantage of it? Would we pursue it? And would we believe your words that you've given us tonight? It's in your name. Amen.